Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G. <laughs> Science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio for episode number 1259, entitled Undeadwood. Ooh. <laughs> Our podcast title is Pod Hunter. Lovely. Hmm. And both of those encapsulate our main meat and potatoes for the show. Indeed. Uh, we're talking about the uh, series, television series, uh, Mindhunter, mm-hmm. and also about the Deadwood, the movie. So a bit of a bloody and violent uh, show today. Yeah. I mean, not that it, I mean, look, we do zombies and all kinds of things, so yeah, we're right. used to the blood and gore. Yeah. We are like Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> we are ruddy gore, yes. <laughs> Okay, so some thingies. Some thingies, thingies. yes. So tidbits first. Um, I did just want to mention that a while ago on the show I covered a podcast called Lime Town, L-I-M-E Town, mm-hmm. uh, which was – it's sort of a fictionalised podcast done in a faux journalistic style, um, but it's sort of a supernatural kind of thing. And I don't – I mean, I won't sort of say too much, but – uh, I really enjoyed it. It's quite a fun little – those sort of uh, narrative podcasts can be hit and miss, but I really loved Limetown and I think it was one of the early ones. And it's actually been turned into a web television series, which I hadn't been very aware of, but um, it stars Jessica Beale, who we probably most recently saw in The Sinner, which is a wonderful series, and Stanley Tucci as well. Oh. So I'm actually very keen to watch that. It's available on Facebook Watch. So I know very little about that platform and that so I might check it out um from the look of it it came out on the 16th of October so I'll have to do a little bit more digging and make sure it's available here and how they're releasing it and all of that but I did think I think it will be out here because I saw a big poster at the train station so I'll be checking that out uh because I think it's interesting they've turned a few podcasts into series yeah homecoming is another one that they did they turned from podcasts into a series and recast which I was a bit disappointed by because I really like like Oscar Isaac was in the podcast <laughs> version and um, Catherine Keener, but yeah. they recast them all. So anyway, Limetown TV series, check it out if you liked the podcast or check out the podcast if it sounds of interest. But when you were saying um, uh, dig into, uh, I've got this earworm at the moment, you know? <laughs> Too much Deadwood? <laughs> no, no, it's, um, there's a group called Windrose, right? Windrose. Mm-hmm. And they're a... Uh, um, how do I describe this? Uh, they're a, an Italian heavy metal band. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. And they've got this um, uh, this uh, music video called Diggy Diggy Hole. So okay. Diggy, <laughs> diggy, and, diggy and they're hole. all dressed up as dwarves. <laughs> so 
It's Lord of the Rings, basically. Sure. They're a Tolkien sort of group. And, and so That's what you hear when I say yeah, dig in. Yeah, it's, it's a it's, common... It's in my head. I say it a lot too. It's one of my go-to terms, so, yeah, so sorry like, about that. The, the chorus is like, we are dwarves and we diggy diggy hole. <laughs> it just goes through. If we get a chance... We like, should we'll oh, we play, play that. We'll play it. Eventually. <laughs> so uh, I want to mention that Kevin Faye is now the... Responsible for the overall mm. creative direction of Marvel storytelling. So that's publishing, yep. film, TV and animation. Is that too much power? Well, I'm sure with too much power, too much responsibility comes great power. Too much great power, you know. So. I mean, I <laughs> well, we'll see. He's done a good job so far, but... Yeah. yeah. He's still got bosses. You know, I suppose still suits above that's him. true. For consistency's sake, maybe good. Yeah. But I think, and I, I guess no, he has. They all have very different tones, and there's a few different things. So I don't think he's got too tight a leash on things. So but there'll hopefully still be some creative freedom. The, the big question is, does he have enough time in the day? Well, this is it. I'd love to see a, a typical day in the life of. How, do you say Faye? Is that how you say? It? I, I, I just, always thought it was I just, Fage. Yeah, I Fage? Just call him Fage. Kevin Fage, that guy, oh, Marvel a, guy. Yeah, KF. Yes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's pretty big news, really. Very big. About it. it means that they'll be able to be integrated more, yeah. I'm assuming. And especially with um, Disney Plus's um, rather large catalogue of Marvel mm, movies and television series that are coming out. They're going to need to sort of coordinate it all. I think it's probably a smart move. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. Well, time will tell. Time will tell, exactly. But it's like, it's like suddenly he's like Thanos. He's got all of the Infinity Stones. All at once. Yes. Well, <laughs> um, we we mentioned that there was uh, some big news in the in the Marvel Comics universe for next year uh, with the possible death of Tony Stark in the comics. Mm-hmm. Indeed, uh, but you, it, these things do not stick. <laughs> but they're playing off the uh, riffing off the idea of um, Iron Man twenty twenty, mm-hmm. which is uh, Tony's variously <laughs> various times uncle cousin. Brother, etc. <laughs> but brother at the moment in the comic books, Arnos Stark. Right. Well, Arnos Stark, not Arnos, that's a fascinating. <laughs> he um, uh, is actually the real um, son of Maria and Howard Stark, whereas Tony's adopted. Yes, right. Yeah, so in the comics anyway. Mm. And he may take over for a year or so. Or, I see. Or, or at least a story arc. But, Gosh. But so they're doing all these resets and changes mm. and – I mean, that, that rocks me to my core. I'm already yeah. shocked, you know, by Avengers Endgame. Um, what am I going to do? I know. Well, because uh, this is the thing. You've always had the, you know, whatever's happening over there, I've still got what's happening over here yeah. in the comic universe. Yeah, I've got my comic. I've and got my now, that's, well, look it's, it's a solid metal core of my life. I know. Um, also, I mean, can we just also pause to say I'm very shaken that next year is 2020 at all? Yeah. <laughs> because that's uh, horrifying. Yeah, but. especially given the lack of vision. Given well, this is it. This I'm sure turn back time, a lot of the things that we hoped for in the year 2020 have not come to pass and yeah. several things we never hoped for have come to pass. So, yeah. anywho. And the uh, the thing that I wanted to mention is that two of the comics they've taken out of play at the moment, uh, two of my favourite, two more of my favourites. Oh, no. Uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Right. Gone. Oh. And Squirrel Girl. Really? Yeah, issue 50 is the last Big fave one. of yours. Oh, yeah. I went. I, I got into Squirrel Girl's um, books because of the Iron Man connection to her yeah, origin, yeah, and stayed because Tony Stark kept showing up, or at yeah. least texting her every book. 
What a shame. Ah. <laughs> I mean, we still hold out hope for other incarnations of Squirrel Girl. Yeah. Well, she's not dying or anything. No, so. no, no. They're taking a pause. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but I still have um, – this is my, my, my pull list from the comic shop. I still have uh, Captain Marvel, mm. so I'm okay there, and Captain America, who yes. still exists, unold in the uh, – Original. In the comics. Yes. So I've still got a few in play. So, um, Yeah. And, and speaking of um, – Movies and TV, uh, there's a musical. Um, yes. So annou- announced was um, Melbourne Symphony Orchestra are again doing the Studio Ghibli showcase that they did last year. Joe Hisashi is coming out and will be present. This time it is at the Sydney Maya Music Bowl and um, they have released the date for that and tickets are on sale now, but I believe selling quickly. So if you didn't get a chance to get along to that last time that happened, uh, jump on the website and have a look now and that will be i should have got the date what date are we looking at i believe it's early next year in february they also have a 2001 a space odyssey they do they've got a lot of good stuff coming up uh yes so it'll be on the 29th of february 2020 at 7 30 and it's at the sydney Maya music bowl the link for booking tickets is still up and open so uh, there must be some left so check that out yeah. it's, it was a lovely lovely show last year very special so If you like Studio Ghibli stuff, it's music from the um, films performed by Melbourne Symphony Orchestra with the conductor, Joe Hisashi. And they play... um, Yes, so they'll play against the backdrop of um, clips from each film. Which which doesn't always necessarily... I mean, if you're going to see these things for the first time, don't go to that just to see the film because... No, well, this one especially (laughs) will be um, sort of clips, but they they do do other ones of the full feature... They do have subtitles on there, but you probably would want to be familiar with the film already, but I think. 2001 would work terrifically. Yes. Because most of the dialogue uh, is not during, played during music. And it's about a vibe, really, isn't it? And imagine that music yeah. with um, live, played live. So it would actually be Very perfect. special. I think that would be the one. So... Uh, so if you enjoy your giblets. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> Tot- tottle along to that. Speaking of giblets, Mindhunter. Yes. Did you bring any music for that today? I did. I was just about to say, shall we, let's get in the mood um, yeah. and I shall play the main titles. This is by Jason Hill from Mindhunter. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Yes, those were the eerie main titles from Mindhunter. Uh, artist is Jason Hill on that one. So we're going to have a little chat about Mindhunter today. So you've Ooh. seen the first episode. Seen one episode. The pilot, as the they pilot. used to call them. I don't yeah. know if they still call them pilots because yes. their pilot was originally to pitch the show and they don't really do that anymore. Uh, do they? I'm pretty sure for they a still Netflix, do. Yeah. For a Netflix one? Ah, uh, that's an interesting question. Mm. Mm. have to dig into that. But yes, so Mindhunter is a Netflix original. Two seasons? Two seasons available. Um, two seasons available now. So the first season came out in uh, almost two years ago, actually. Right. So my little notes here. There we go. Yes. So it came out in October of 2017. Season two came out of in August of this year. So there was quite a big wait in between those two seasons, which I think was quite frustrating for people because it was season one was quite well received. Mm. Uh, so I think, you know, the vibe of that title kind of sets the scene for us. So this is set in the late 70s. Uh, season two is actually set v- around the turn of that decade, very early 80s. Mm-hmm. Um so kind of to set our scene, it's 
follows largely uh, one man and a small team of FBI agents, and it's about the inception and new seedling beginnings of the Behavioural Sciences Unit at the FBI in America. And it's Jonathan Gro- Groff. Yes, Jonathan Groff plays sort of our protagonist in season one, but I will say it becomes much more of an ensemble in season two. So he plays Holden Ford. Stop yes. a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Holden Ford. They do. Uh, apparently one of the uh, team involved is Australian, and so that is a bit of a funny uh, – they do have a little joke about that so, in the show. So last week we were talking about El Camino. Now we're into Holden Ford. Exactly. So Jonathan Groff is Holden Ford, and he's kind of that um sort of naive in some ways, rubs people the wrong way, but has a very keen interest in unpacking the mindset of what was not then called serial killers, but what we call now serial killers. What did they call Holden Ford? Uh, uh, he's, the other guy called him a uh, blue flame or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they originally start off uh, sort of in the teaching unit where they talk about different kinds of techniques to other uh, to police and people in the FBI and so on as part of the FBI Academy at Quantico. But then it becomes something a little bit more as this interest in looking at the psyches of convicted killers sort of starts to emerge across the series. So one of the main cornerstones of the series is these interviews that they conduct, these qualitative interviews with killers mm. uh, while they're in prison. And they're trying to build up a little data set of characteristics. A lot of the characteristics that we know now, um, characteristics of how killers operate and how they think, because it goes through it a little bit in season one. I don't want to go into it too much, but there was sort of a notion that people were just born that way and a bad seed is a bad seed. And then they were really starting to think a bit more about the, so you know, um, how the upbringing affects and society's kind of role in in uh, what, who the person ends up becoming in crime and, you know, the, the antecedents to crime or whatever. The times so. make the crimes. Yes. So, exactly. And I think what, that's what I find quite interesting about this is that they do have quite a close grip on some of that early, sort of trying to show you how that evolved at the very start, what the mindset was in not just the FBI but also sort of in um, – what do you call it? Police force, police in general, now law I'm, enforcement. That's what I'm. Now I'm for. sure I've seen I've seen the uh, the birth of um, serial killer hunting um, in the Murdoch mysteries at the turn of the 19th century <laughs> in Canada because they do, they evolved all of the techniques there. Yeah, yeah so. solving the crimes that appeared to have no normal motive that we could fathom. Yeah, well, see that's and that's the thing I think talking a bit about um, they sort of dig into motive and what sort of get what motivates these killers from inside to to do what they do and being disorganised or organised and all that kind of thing. So it is based on the book Mindhunter mm-hmm. inside the FBI's elite serial crime unit, which was written by John E. Douglas and Mark Oyshaker. So the characters in this, including Holden Ford, are based on l- l- real people, some more loosely than others, and there are storylines that are fictionalised. So Joe Penhall is the showrunner or creator of this series, but quite closely attached uh, is David Fincher. So if you liked the movie Zodiac, um, which covers Mm -hmm. the kind of era of the Zodiac killer, uh, that's one of his movies, uh, you will like this. You will like Mindhunter because David Fincher directs seven of the episodes in the two seasons oh. um and i think he's oh. yes and and it kind of has that very finchery 
um, look. So the cinematography is very like, you know, saturated and moldy mm. looking and it's very moody and it's got kind of that great 70s vibe as well. So And Shelley's, I mean, Penhall, Fincher and Shelley's Theron. Yes. Yeah, so a producer. Yeah. So I think she has actually quite a close interest in sort of these kinds of um, true crime Is she in it? Series. No, no. So I think she's probably just uh, attached as an executive producer. Okay. So, yeah. So it's sort of Season one, we're kind of looking at how this unit is evolving and they start talking to these these killers. And then season two, they really amp that up quite a bit and we get some very uh, uh, <laughs> big ticket characters or real life people, I say in quotation marks, appearing for that. And also, um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that season two does look quite closely at the Atlanta child murders is quite a large story thread. Or over my head, that one. Yeah, so this is the other thing too is that I think people who like true crime or who know some of the more notorious cases in American history, because obviously this is very US-centric, will recognise some of these crimes. A couple of the people are very recognisable by almost anybody, I would think. Well, the Mansons. Exactly. So Manson is in season two. Uh, Some of the other... Ones I think you will probably know if you like true crime. I'm a bit of a, I, I recognise some of these cases. You've in true crime. I just it's so <laughs> it sounds so naff these days. But I was I knew some of these um, crimes before I saw them in this show, so that was quite okay. interesting. Um, and it's not. I think what's important to note is. Well, actually, let's talk about a couple of the other people because I don't want it to be just about Holden Ford. Well, well going back to uh, Penhall, the, the creator of the show, yes. he was raised in Adelaide. He's a playwright. Yeah, so I'd say Australian maybe playwright. that's where our Holden Ford comes from yeah. as well. But Anna Torv, is a, um, she plays Wendy Carr, who is the kind of mm-hmm. academic side. So she studies white-collar psychopaths. <laughs> and so she brings some of that knowledge into this unit. And she's sort of the uh, trying to make this very academic and rigorous. So she her character is based on real-life person. Another Aussie. And actually. she is another Aussie as well. Uh, she, we would have seen her in Fringe. Yep. Uh, and she was also in the show set in Canberra called Secret City. But mm. she's fantastic in this. She she has a really wonderful energy. And you do see a bit more about her and her personal life in season two as well. And rounding out the trio is um, Holt McCallany, which is a great name. He mm-hmm. plays Bill Tench, who's sort of um, Holden Ford's partner, I want to say, but that's not really strictly what they are um, in the FBI. And... So he's kind of there from the beginning as well. He sort of plays an older, uh, more hardened FBI agent, but he's actually probably my favourite character in the show. He's got a, a haircut that, like, a, like he looks like a jarhead basically. Yes, but he's. I think his energy in this show is kind of some of the glue, personally. So okay, you've got the two the, the two male FBI agents and the the female psych professor. The academic, is, yes. Yeah, okay, that's a very familiar sort of. Yeah, mix. and I actually think the trio works really well together, and they all have very distinct personalities without falling into stereotype too much. And and uh, Holt was in um, Heroes. And yes. I, and, and God help me, I remember him as the burglar in Justice League. I was going to say, I was going to say he was in Justice League as well. God help him. He's on the other um, side of the law now. And, of course, he did his usual run of all the cop shows. He was in yeah. CSI, Law and Order, all of that. So nothing too big ticket there. But I think this is a really great role for him. Is there any – now, you've, how many seasons have you watched? Have you watched? I've watched all of it. Okay. Polish that off in quick order. Now, okay, so you've got the two guys and the 
psychology professor. Now, normally she would be part of a romantic interest triangle or something, but I see that Ford's... And I saw in the first episode, Ford has a a girlfriend called uh, Debbie, who's uh, played by Hannah Gross. Yes. And she's a a grad student in sociology. They so, actually have some very interesting conversations. I yeah, really like yeah. that. And look, I don't, I don't want to give anything away because I think part of it is yeah, you want to watch yeah. it unfold. But let's just say that's not really an avenue that they can explore in the show. She was actually um, played young Penny Fleck in the Joker movie. Oh, Penny really? Yeah. Oh, there you go. So she's got form. <laughs> um, and another uh, sort of Australian connection as well, Andrew Dominic has, directs two of the episodes. He's a director. He did Chopper. Mm-hmm. And he also did The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, which is one of my favourite movies of all time. So um, that's kind of the vibe that we're looking at because he's sort of got a similar moody style to Fincher. Um, so, yeah, so those three are kind of our core trio. Like you mentioned, there are we've got little sort of electrons hovering around the fringes as well. Uh, they do introduce some other characters and things sort of develop a bit more throughout the seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... What I really liked about it and is important to note, it's not a cop show. It's There are elements of solving crime, uh, but it's not a cop show and it's not even really a mystery show. Like I said, even though there's elements of looking at crimes and sort of they're integrated into the story, it's not really about – it's not it's- gratuitous. You're not going to see murders. It's about what happens after the murders, if you know what I mean. So it's not – it's see – other shows that I think are kind of similar, um, Bones or Castle, it's not – they're not actually solving the crime. In that pilot, I noticed they didn't solve any crimes. No. They, there is some of that that yeah. comes later. I would say that it really sits in its own – I'd say it's not very similar to either of mm. those shows, um, not just in tone, but I think it's, it's very largely focused – it hinges on conversations. Mm. And a large part of season one is interviewing Ed Kemper, who was a co-ed killer. And, I mean, it it does also raise some of those questions. I mean, I think what's interesting is that they're really trying to formulate a structure and a way of looking at crimes and criminals in order to help solve future crimes or avoid future crimes. But it does also obviously fall into that same trap where this is very much about perpetrators and it does do that thing where the focus is very solely on the killers and those people and not hugely on the victims or Mm. the real people. You do see a bit more of that in season two around the real effects of it. Um, But going in, you should know that, yes, this is something where the, the focus is deliberately on looking at these killers and giving them enough time of day to, to use what they have to say in some kind of scientific way. Yeah, so really they're procedure it's a procedural show like all of these things but the focus is more upon the how they're developing the procedural of catching serial killers. Yes, and about the inside workings of what motivates the killers they speak to and then um trying to kind of apply that to things. But that said there's plenty of personal storylines that are interweaved as well. Mm. Um And I will say I think what's quite powerful is those conversations that they have is that they're quite well written and I think that that those interviews are meant to be and really do do a good job of being kind of the core of the show. Mm. And when they stray too far from that I think is where the show becomes a bit weaker. I did notice in the the pilot one of the things I I liked 
Um, they started talking to another FBI guy about a case that he was involved in. Mm. And in my head, I'm expecting them to go in and solve that case. But they backed right off. The, the uh, forgers said, look, we don't know enough. We're in the dark here. We have no idea. We're still... We don't, we're not doing anything really. Yeah. Uh, but we want to. I and think, they just backed right off. And, and I think that's going to be an interesting thing as you watch more of the series is coming back to that kind of idea. And, and I will say the series does get it, – it really hits its stride towards mid to late season one. That mm. was when I was really like – I liked what it was doing. The pace was great. There was enough high moments and enough really engaging scenes. Um. Yeah, I mean, and obviously, based on the subject matter, there is some graphic content. Yeah, right up front in the pilot, um, um, we see a hostage negotiation go seriously wrong. Yeah, and a lot of it is through in the form of crime scene photographs as well. Okay. Um, some of that and some of the discussions and so on. So just be, you know, obviously be warned that if that's something that you're not interested in. But I do think you can get a lot out of this. It's not... I still don't think it's a gratuitous show by any okay. by any stretch. I thought there was some good um, um, portrayal of institutional friction in the pilot episode. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, the FBI and Quantico, they're just not set up for this. Yeah. And, and it's very easy when, you, um, when you're exploring, in a way it's meta, a meta, uh, metaphor for the, the actual show, the danger that they run of sympathising with the killers. Yeah. Whereas they're actually trying to understand them. Yes. And, of course... I think that's the different. Inf- the institution doesn't support that. They no. They want to uh, arrest At that and time, punish the perps. A terrible look. Like, why would we give these people the time of day? Why, sure. Especially when the mindset is they're just rotten from the inside, mm. which for some of them may or may not be true, but understanding why they're rotten from the inside... Helps you catch them. Exactly. That's, that's what the whole they point. want to be getting out of it. And I think you're right. It's very interesting when you think about how far it's come since then mm. in terms of understanding that psychology is obviously something that is respected now. Or at least we think it is in fictional terms because we don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. I uh, mean, obviously there's also a, a large amount of kind of heuristics that guide yeah. law enforcement in a detrimental way. So I don't think it's, it's, it's hardly a perfect system now, nor was it then. Um, in, in terms of um, uh, reflecting the times, this is obviously important. It is, a, it is now a period show. It's set in the, in the late 1970s. I mean, that's part of the joy of it too. Like, <laughs> it's 50 oof. years ago. Everything about this is up my alley, not in terms of the murder, but in terms of the understanding that and unpacking that. Sorry, 40 years. <laughs> and the, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's, like it's late 70s. Yeah. And just the vibe of it being in the 70s and the look of it. And I, I, I think it does the right amount of everything in terms of the pacey stuff and in terms of the interview stuff and in terms of the character personal stuff Mm. i could probably stand to see a little less of the personal stuff and there's a storyline in season two that i won't go into that i don't like it being there but well well, i noticed i noticed um you know obviously there's smoking a lot of smoking loads of smoking everyone's smoking um there's the the bar hopping culture of the 70s everyone drinks like fish Mm -hmm. um there's no seat belts in the car Cars, yes, Nobody, yeah. There's not that no buckle up sort of thing that people do. No, nope. um, and they're obviously going to be steeped in music from the period. Oh, the soundtrack to this is perfection. <laughs> it's really, it's quite wonderful. I think um, overall, in terms of 
vibe and what it has to offer. I really, I really love this show. Like I said, it's very much in my wheelhouse though. Do you think it's something you would watch more of or do you think it's maybe just bottom of the list of all the many things we have? The David Fincher connection does stir my interest. Mm. Um, The rest of the, the true crime serial killer thing. It has to be really out there for me to be interested in in a normal sort of um, mm. crime show uh, like Dexter. I didn't mm. watch Dexter, and that actually would have attracted my interest. Yes, yes. So this one probably not. Yeah. Uh, but the David Fincher connection does stir my interest a bit. Maybe I mean, I'll just watch those episodes. <laughs> well, I I would advise against that. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think season two becomes a bit more. It ups the pace a bit and it does become a bit more headliney, mm. which I liked less, to be honest. Um, I mean, yeah, see see what you think. Maybe look up some of the Fincher episode. Maybe he does episode two and you could just watch that and see, yeah, yeah. <laughs> see what you think. I'm not disparaging it in terms of that, but simply, you know, brutally for me, um, it, it needs to have either a fantasy or a science fiction component. Mm. Uh, if I'm going to invest the time in a whole series, yeah. or it has to be really... You know, like Breaking Bad, um, are we at that sort of level with this show? No, because I think Breaking Bad is one of the best TV shows yeah, that's, of our time. Yeah. But you're probably leaning more towards that end of the scale, I would okay, think. good. But, again, that's coming from me who's like, this is sort of, you know, mm. my uh, interest bread and butter. So, yeah, it's hard to say. I'll ask you the question, why someday? <laughs> I'll leave that question with you to contemplate. I know, right. (laughs) I'm an ex-psychology student who grew up watching Murder, She Wrote. (laughs) You add those things together. (laughs) That's like when um, somebody asked Oz in Buffy, uh, what happened to you? And he goes, how did you get to be a werewolf? It's like, I got bit. Yeah, Oz says, long story, I got bit. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, I do think this has a lot to offer in terms of style, though. Like, I think the, the execution is... Lovely. And it's funny. <laughs> Lovely is not the right word. Execution it, is very good. But it does also attract my attention because it's a, a period show now. Well, that's it. It's very strong period vibes in this. Like we are talking deep, 70, yeah. well, deep 70s, 80s, yeah. very much. No one's going to pull out a mobile phone. No. To call. And we go to different parts of America and it's very interesting to see. I mean, when they go to Atlanta, I really liked those scenes because it, it was like, oh, okay. Good, yeah. A good use of place. Yes, very. Okay, yeah. cool. So, yes, Mindhunter, it's on Netflix, two seasons available to you. Um, I think I will play something from the soundtrack. I'm Terry Pratchett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero G on 3 R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump. I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. Ha 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 with three exclamation marks. Yes, indeed, and that was, of course, Psycho Killer by Talking Heads, which does appear in the show Mindhunter, which we were just talking about. Seems like an insensitive choice, but it was on their soundtrack, so... <laughs> and it's a great track. Yes, and they, they also have a uh, David Bowie track on there as well. So which we we'll, shall hear later yeah, on. Yeah, that'll be our, our track. I yeah. uh, just want to mention um, Stephen Moore, the English actor who was known for work on British TV and uh, in theatre as well, mm-hmm. um, has passed away. Uh, was born on the 11th of December in 1937 and died on the 4th of October. So he was um, London-born and we know him mostly for his voice 
in roles like the voice of Marvin the Paranoid Android in the radio and television adaptations of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, He was also um, other characters in the original radio play uh, Gag Hellfront, The Ruler of the Universe, The Whale and Frankie Mouse. And uh, these are all sorts of uh, very hitchhiker, H2, G2 roles that he had back in the day. Uh, Also the reader for the original audiobook versions of the guide, books one to five. He was... um, uh, also played George Smith in a sci-fi radio comedy, Paradise Lost in Cyberspace. And in the BBC radio dramatisation of The Adventures of Tintin, he was Professor Calculus. He popped up in the new Avengers uh, as, a, as a major in that, and that's the British Avengers. And uh, also in an episode of Doctor Who, a character called Eldane. So, yeah, Stephen Moore, no longer with us, had a great, voice, uh, really nailed the voice of uh, Marvin the Paranoid Android. And in 1981, he released two pop singles, uh, Marvin Metal Man and Reasons to be Miserable slash Marvin I Love You, double B-sides there that I'm talking about. And um, these were later rearranged to coincide with the 2005 Hitchhiker's movie release. So this is... um, Stephen Moore, a bit archival, this, and it's uh, Metal Man, Marvin the Paranoid Android is the album, and this is the, uh, from that. Hello, this is Bobcat Goldthwait, and you're listening to 3 Triple R FM Melbourne. Yeah, Mr. Stephen Moore with Marvin the Paranoid Android. That was the actual A side of that signal from the 80s, not the B side, which is... Man, I decided Metal Man on the actual album, the actual single was a bit, uh, on the vinyl was a bit too archival. I couldn't quite understand some of it, which is very metal when you think about it. (laughs) All right, Deadwood, the movie. We're being very retro. We did El Camino, the Breaking Bad movie last week. Yeah, these things all have a very distinct vibe. Vibes, which I'm into. This is a HBO one, but mm. I picked it up on DVD. So there'll be loads of swearing and oh, such. Yes. It is a continuation. Mature content. Absolutely. <laughs> it is a continuation of the 2004 2006 three season Deadwood television show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this movie alone was nominated for nine Emmys. Oof. So just by itself. Didn't win any, but no. nevertheless. Uh, its creator, David Milch, was ailing during the uh, production of this movie. Uh, He has Alzheimer's. Um, And so this is actually a deep meditation on the passage of time. Um, And it's extremely moving and touching in all of those aspects. Sometimes these uh, reunion movies don't quite land. Mm. This one does. Oh, that's good to hear. I know it's a very beloved series by a lot of people. Oh, yeah, especially by the actors in it. Mm. There's a little making-of thing on the DVD, and uh, basically this is their Buffy. Yeah. This is their show that will mark the rest of their careers. Although Ian McShane, when he hears one of the actresses say that on the making-of, he leans over a railing and says... Excuse. <laughs> can, can. <laughs> well, excuse the French, but he says, speak for your fucking self. <laughs> Which is funny Fair. because he's he does that um, Al Swedge and um, 
accent. He's Ameri- he, it's American, but he's British. Yes. So on the making of, he's, he's using his... And it's so strange, <laughs> that, that sort of s- separation. Uh, it's 1889, South Dakota, where, this, where the camp, mining camp of Deadwood is, uh, is based. It's entering into statehood. So everybody's taking part in the celebrations. It's 10 years on in the story. Uh, it opens with trains and Janes. Oof. Yes, they have a, a train line now into, uh, into Deadwood. Uh, and the Jane is Calamity Jane, who is drunk again. Or perhaps she's still drunk from the last, <laughs> from 10 years ago. Uh, the, the widow, Alma Garrett Ellsworth, she's coming back into town with her ward, Sophia. Um, Calamity Jane is trying to return to town to talk to her, um, her, her old girlfriend, Joni Stubbs, mm-hmm. uh, who now is in charge of the Bella Union um, uh, Bordello, uh, since Cy Tolliver died in the uh, way back when. Um, into the mix is uh, uh, George Hurst, Senator George Hurst. He wasn't a senator back in the original series. Uh, he's the father of uh, William Randolph Hurst, the newspaper ah, tycoon. Yes. Citizen King. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, and he is a real mongrel, a uh, rat bag of a character. Um, you need one of those, though, don't his- you? Historically based, actually, some of the things that he does in this one have actually been lifted out of his earlier life okay. as a miner. Um, so actually they are based, but they're just played with the, the yeah, timeline sure. a bit. Uh, and um, uh, he's trying to – Hurst is trying to uh, to buy some land from um, another beloved character from Deadwood, Charlie Utter. And so, you know, the stage is set because this is a man who gets what he wants. He's well, utterly ruthless. Yes, I can imagine. So ranged against him is Timothy Oliphant playing – Marshall Justified Seth, Seth Bullock <laughs> uh, Well yeah you know him from that But I know him as um, the guy from uh, Santa Clarita Diet ah. He's got a zombie wife I mean I really know <laughs> him from Scream 2 But you know <laughs> yeah. uh, And he's just as upright as ever He's mellowed a bit because he's actually got a wife and child Who are living in the camp now sure. He's kind of moved on from his um, Gunslinging ways uh, No he's no. moved on from his uh, extramarital relationship right. with Alma, gotcha. or has he? Because she comes back <laughs> oh. into town, uh, and he's great. He he still has. He's still got the. He's still rocking the mustache, um, and he's got the walk. Seth mm. Seth Bullock has this amazing, determined, straight at your walk. Yeah. If Captain America was alive <laughs> in that that day, he'd be Seth Bullock. Uh, Ian McShane is back as Al Swearingen, who's in charge of the other big hotel. In town um, now, this is interesting because uh, Ian McShane's been through a lot of trials and tribulations in his career since, in terms of being Hellboy's foster father, yes. which was not all that good a gig. He was in a Pirates, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, he was uh, Blackbeard That's in um, right. one of the uh, Pirates movies, and Mister Wednesday. Yeah, he's been so many different things in American Gods. Uh, he's sick in this story. He's got um, some kind of liver disease, if we're to believe the doctors of the time which I wouldn't necessarily do. Just have some heroin. Isn't that what they did back then? Uh, um, um, Wu, the, uh, the, uh, the, fig, the pillar of um, pig feeding in uh, the Chinese community gives him tea. Uh, probably works just as well as anything yeah. else they're going to give him. Yeah. He's actually undergone an interesting transition, almost from villain to hero, but not quite. Right. Well, it's, that's where the fun is, right? He doesn't seem to have as much agency in this story, except he's the guy that everybody goes to for advice hmm. now. Uh, and this is part. This is a big part of uh, coming to terms with 
aging and, mm. and transitions and stuff. And, and I thought that Ian McShane plays Al perfectly in this. Yeah, nice. Except I always now will picture Ian McShane as leaning over a balcony, over a railing in a saloon. <laughs> I expect to see his, yeah, sure. his soliloquies in, in movies delivered from above. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, he has a, there's a, there's a great – there's so much uh, great, so many great lines in this. There's one where he talks – I'll give this one away for free. Ian McShane says to Seth, do you ever think of not going straight at a thing? <laughs> Seth just looks says, No. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Molly Parker plays Alma Ellsworth, the mm-hmm. widow, um, widow Ellsworth, because her husband was shot by um, Randolph. Uh, sorry, we, uh, George Hurst's mm-hmm. um, men. Yes, uh, she's been off playing Maureen Robinson in Lost in Space. Ah, and I, I'm told that she was uh, flying in from LA because this was actually made in Santa Clarita. Speaking of uh, Santa Clarita diet, yeah, right. So she was fly- flying in between gigs in LA, and apparently was um, so tired she was lying down between takes in a corset just on the oh, floor. Gosh, you got to be desperate if you're trying to lie down while wearing a corset. And she is look, she is just a, a remarkable presence on screen. You know, just dominates whenever she's on. Um, Paul Malcolm, Paula Malcolmson plays Trixie, um, and Trixie, Trixie the Trixie the whore with a heart of. Gold, possibly, <laughs> <laughs> and a mouth like wow, she is pretty awesome. Um, she was in Lost and also in the Battlestar Galactica spin-off series Caprica. She's been in Sons of Anarchy and Abby Donovan in the Showtime series Ray Donovan. Mm. But she's also been um, she was also uh, Katniss's mum in the Hunger Games. Oh yes, I can picture her. <laughs> She uh, looks very like she should, you know, of that era. She gets some of the great She's a lines. very of that era look. Um, Kim Dickens plays Joni Stubbs. Um, she's been in uh, House of Cards mm. and Free, uh, Fear the Walking Dead, ah. where I remember her from yes, last. the spin-off. And she kept her hat from the Deadwood series and she's wearing it in this one. Oh. <laughs> I love when you hear about people getting very nostalgic about the shows that made them. Oh, lots of other people. Brad DeReef, um and a gun who we saw in um, yes. Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Robin Weigart unforgettably returns as Calamity Jane. Uh, we saw her in Jessica Jones playing Wendy Ross Hogarth. Oh, yes, yep. Uh, and, of course, William Sanderson playing the vile, grubby E.B. Farnham who scrubbed up a bit oh. <laughs> in this. But not so much that he will neglect to use the spy holes in the secret corridor in his hotel. So still dirty on the inside. <laughs> still <asleep. laughs> yeah. But actually, man's up a bit in this. Uh, I'd not forgotten how profanely eloquent the characters were in Deadwood. It's Shakespearean with more swearing. Mm. It's beautifully filmed, uh, you know, from the candle and oil lamp light, which gives you a golden flickering effect, like looking through a whiskey glass bottom. It's just like that. Uh, they had to rebuild parts of the camp. Parts of it have been used in the Westworld set. Um, yeah, right. But they still had to rebuild parts and they've done a great job there. Nice. There's a pig feeding in this one. Oh, good. Uh, and a making of Doco oh, as well. At yay. The where we will find uh, – and I found out also that Al Swedgen spent time in Australia. Yeah, there you go. Which he says, and I quote, and again, excuse the French, wasted fucking five years that was. <laughs> <laughs> well, well yeah. take issue with that, but sure. Yeah, so I actually think this is just a perfect um, return to – it's uh, Deadwood, the movie, uh, and this pretty much um, 
uh, wraps it up really for the story. So we're tracking well in terms of movie follow-ups this week and last week with El Camino. And I, there is a, a last line for a character in this movie because there's funerals, there's weddings, there's mm. all sorts of stuff. Um, but you were happy with the... Yeah, okay. yeah. There's a last line for a character in this that is one of the all-time great last lines that's mm. ever been spoken on television or cinema. Wow. <laughs> Greater than I am Iron Man or no? No, of course not. No, <laughs> course that, not. that is the top one. <laughs> wow. Okay, Deadwood the movie. All right, so we're going to go out today with a track um, from... Uh, not Deadwood. Oh, uh, we'll go out with a track... Our Bowie track for the day, yes. which is Right, which was used for, uh, in uh, episode three of uh, Mindhunter, mm-hmm. and it's from his Young Americans album. And Joe Brunetic coming up next with Astral Glamour. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.